Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Chris. So, Caitlin, uh, we have a guest today. His name is David Sheftel, and he is a freelance print journalist uh, who writes about tennis. Uh, and he's almost, he asked me to say that, and he's almost certainly selling himself short with that introduction. He's fresh off a reporting trip up to the Rogers Cup in Montreal, where you talked to, who was it? I talked to Novak Djokovic. How long did you get with Novak Djokovic? Uh, we got about 24 minutes, exactly 24 <laughs> minutes, I should say. I want to know about your Montreal experience. Like, was the tournament nice? Like, were, did, was there, like, poutine at the stadium? You know? <laughs> Complimentary like, for press. It's my hometown, but I've never been to the tournament there. Stupid the way. tournament, it's it's nice. It's well run. The stadium, I have to be honest, is a little a little bit shop-worn. There was poutine there. I didn't, I didn't, alas, eat it because I needed to stay awake. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting about it is, you know, they, 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 um, they have the women's is concurrent in Toronto and the men's is in Montreal. And the next year they'll, yeah, flips, they'll, right? they'll flip. And there appears to be some sort of not conflict, but some sort of compromise or sharing situation between the Quebecois, the Fran- the Francophone tennis federation and the English speaking one. They've got to sort of share everything. It's the story of Canada. I know. <laughs> Played out. <Quite> large. <laughs> a tournament official was telling me that they split Davis Cup as well. So if Davis Cup is being played in French-speaking Canada, the French Federation deals with it elsewhere. It's the Toronto-based federation. My favorite part about growing up in Montreal is it doesn't matter what your color creed nationality if you're an immigrant nothing if you moved into an english-speaking neighborhood you were with the anglos and if you moved into a french neighborhood oh, really? you were with the french and like they wow yeah oh yeah and they, there was a huge divide and people felt like it reverberated through your whole lives and which schools you went to and all this stuff wow. it's, truly it's like west side story in terms of after montreal i guess my my main question was is uh is it is it just like two players who are going to almost win out here it just seems like Serena and Djokovic are are both um really on top of things I feel like that's what's going to happen you know these guys at this stage kind of manage it um day by day and I could see him not playing but yeah I, I don't I don't I mean Marin Cilic certainly isn't going to win the U.S. Open again right. <laughs> right I mean he's had a terrible year since um I mean he's, he's won nothing I don't think he's won a single tournament since winning the u.s open last year mm-hmm. right and um djokovic has been in in you know the last three finals right um serena same thing yeah last i four. heard a really so i'm gonna use this as an excuse to bring up my favorite lady player andrea petkovic hmm. because she had a couple of good matches and was asked about like the women's field mm-hmm. and like she basically was like i don't even think of like serena being a tennis player well, I feel like she's really above it. I don't even feel like she should have... I mean, I'm not in her head, but the way I see it from the outside, I don't even think she should have pressure because she's just so above everything else. You know, it's difficult for me to put it in words what I mean, but I feel like she's above all this, all this, the media, the matches that we play, the tournaments, the Grand Slam first rounds. She's just reached another level. She's reached legend level already a few, I think, few tournaments, a few years ago. But really this year, I think she showed it because she wasn't playing great, but she won all three. I mean, for her, I think for her um, abilities, she wasn't playing great, but she just won all the, all the slams because she's 
one level above all of us and and that's um, that's amazing to see and it's amazing to be part of this legacy. It's weird to hear like a professional athlete say that. Right, about someone in their own error. It was like how they used to talk about Nadal on clay, which is kind of like, well, all right, we'll try. This seems like the right time to switch to Amanda Kutzer talking about standing 10 feet behind the baseline and rallying forever. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. so... Dave, do you want to hang around for our um, second never number one? Sure. Um, so I don't know if we told you this, Dave, but today we're going to talk about... Amanda Kutzer. My interest in Amanda Kutzer years ago, I, I remember the first intriguing thing about her was that she used a 28-inch or 27-and-a-half-inch <laughs> right. racket. And uh, and I guess I was sort of new-ish to tennis. And I remember thinking, like, could a half-inch really fucking matter at all? When but you're 5'2", it does. It does. Yeah, my wife is 5'2". And uh, I was reading that she got up as high as 3 in the world. Is that mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. Which is amazing, being that size. I mean, I guess the half inch or the inch really matters. So for anybody who doesn't know, we're talking about Amanda Kutzer, who was a stalwart on the in the top 10 between like, well, like 95 and like 2002 or so. So she overlapped with like Graf and Salas and like Hingis, a little yeah. bit into the Serena era. But her number one um, beef was with Martina Hingis. For that alone, I will <laughs> give her. I remember that's why I liked her so much at the time. Because I found Every, everyone's Hingis. beef yeah. with Martina Hingis in those days. Uh, she's so distasteful. Is she still though? Maybe she's maybe she's turned a corner. That's interesting. Yeah, we should interview was... her at one of these tournaments because you know, she's, no, she's, no, she's like she's playing again. Yeah, yeah, she won the mixed and um, the the women's and the mixed doubles at Wimbledon. Yeah, she's legit, but she was just so terrible as a person. And all of a sudden, on the other hand, you have this like South African tiny woman who was like a hard worker and like always had a smile on her face and was like the winner of like almost every year that she was on the tour of the sportsmanship award which is awarded by other players right right like nothing makes me tear up more than good sportsmanship <laughs> well i think um i was reading that uh that and like this is perfect she has she had two older sisters that she wasn't as good as and always strive to be better as, which seems perfect for someone who's five two. You, you know what I mean? Like you have to have that incentive of like getting better than a sibling, I think. <laughs> and that she learned hitting a ball against a wall, which is how I learned to play tennis. And so it's really, um, there's some like something about that image that is like, yeah, yeah. That's how she developed into the person that she was. And if you look, so I did like, I kind of forgot what it looked like to watch her play. Yeah. Because it also seems like so crazy that somebody who's that short could be good now in the current era, even though Dominica Silvokova, who's like teeny teeny, is the same size. And essentially, you know, um, even though she doesn't have a very similar game, is like very successful. Yeah. Irani. Yeah. Irani. Exactly. But like, she's really impressive. Like she, she, um, she's obviously fleet of foot, which you have to be, but also like, She's she really like strategically played the ball extremely well. She was thoughtful. She had a really good like mixed game. You know, I, I, I she was better and more impressive than I had remembered. Right, and when I when I went back and watched, I'd forgotten that she had kind of a western backhand, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> which is like awesome. And then also, uh, you know, I think in one year she's she's like one of the few players to beat Graf three times in a year. 
Yes. And I wondered if like the Western backhand kind of helped because she had such like a hard slice and like, don't want to make light of this, but like it was probably pretty easy for her to get low on the slice <laughs> more than like Lindsay Davenport. But that's really impressive, like to have beat her three times. But then here's the truly shocking thing. Please explain what you found, because I didn't believe you when you told me that this yeah. was involving any tennis player, much less this person. We will um, we will put a snapshot of our G chat talking about this when I told you that <laughs> that she was married to the the most interesting man in the world, who is a movie producer and former Israeli spy and arms dealer. His name is Arnon Milchan, I guess uh, I might be, but yeah, he was recruited young to be a spy. And uh, there's one quote where he says, basically, like, can you imagine being uh, recruited by your country to become James Bond? It was awesome. <laughs> like, this, <laughs> this guy enjoyed it. He really enjoyed being a spy. <laughs> like, at one point, he was, he had 30 companies in 17 different countries. And one connection is that he he sort of claimed that um, he used his connections to help the apartheid regime help israel acquire uranium which is like, which is like an amazing Jesus thing Christ. which is like an amazing thing to cop to um so there so there was a book where two guys were writing it about him or mostly about him and he gave them interviews so that they would get things right but then he didn't authorize the book and they felt like well there was a lot of things he didn't tell them which is sort of even more more intriguing the movies that he's produced include but are not limited to Fight Club, Twelve Years a Slave, Pretty Woman, and L.A. Confidential, like which means that wow. Amanda Kutzer has like one degree of separation between like Julia Roberts and Kevin Spacey. <laughs> kind and, of like, amazing, Brangelina, essentially. <laughs> exactly. Dave, did you have any idea, or and or does this shock you? Does that shock me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the it only is... thing that's not shocking in all of that is that he didn't divulge all in his interviews i mean yeah. i would hope there was like a ton he didn't divulge <laughs> right you definitely get that feeling and then also there was a israeli journalist who was interviewed it was in this guardian piece that sort of has the best breakdown of it and uh and he said you know like part of it is you know he's getting older i think he's like 70 and like he wants mm. credit for all that he did for his country which sounds like it was a whole lot might not feel great about arms dealing and nuclear secrets <laughs> but this guy has had quite a life and he like it's it's been some trouble for him in the movie industry although clearly not too much if he's produced those movies but when he was asked about it he said you know well i should have been aware of that um but you know what and then there's a pause and he says, uh, uh, you know what? Fuck you. You know what? I did it for my country and I'm proud of it. <laughs> Good God. It's hilarious. Are oh, they still married? Yes, they are. They have two kids. But he saw her on TV and was like, bring, bring her to me. <laughs> well, you know, that happened. That's how um, Pete Sampras met his wife, who was like a minor actress. Well, oh, right. In uh, the um, uh, Adam Sandler in the in seminal the... film Billy Madison. Right. Madison. Just one quick anecdote for you, Chris. Yeah. Before uh, when Dave and I had a cocktail last week, um, no, when Dave and I were talking earlier this week, we I asked him if he saw Rafa in the players' um, lounge, and he said not only did he, but also he had a hair update for us. Oh, oh, right. please, Dave, go. So um, I'm watching this keenly as a man. <laughs> um, it was it was. Yeah, he, he sort of rounded the corner in the players area, and I was right there face to face with him. And you feel like he's no, you know these guys, so I gave him sort of a head nod, like "What's up?" 
totally blanked me. Um, but no evidence of um, of hair loss. No, oh, great. But but you know, the hair was sort of dry and coiffed. So I know when he gets out there and sort of like by mid fourth set, you start to see yeah. a little. Uh, you see some scalp. You see some scalp. <laughs> you see some scalp. Right. Right. Because it's like, you know that his knee is kind of a mess, but you can't actually see it. <laughs> but his hair. Right. But it's not like running into John Travolta, which I imagine would be shocking if he saw his hair. <laughs> you know, it was like, I wasn't like, oh my God. And look at his hair. I was like, oh, Rafa, and I actually don't know him. Even though I feel like I do. Yeah. Um, I'm ready to end this, but yes. I wanted to make one final point before we yep. do. Does anybody else want to say anything? Please, no, go ahead. I'm cool. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. I heard a ton um, of suggestions from people about who never number ones should be. Oh, um, in some cases, I want to have these people on the show to talk about them. Um, okay. So if you have one and you listen to this um, and you want us to talk about it and maybe want to talk with us about it, um, let me know. Tweet me at uh, Maindraw on Twitter or check out our Tumblr at maindraw.tumblr.com or you can just find me on the internet because I'm an internet person. Um, Hey man, thanks so much for your time. Oh yeah, sure. My pleasure.